as Chris said, I'm going to continue the series that we've been doing called The Gift of Risk, and today is focused on the risk of Jesus. Um, we're looking at l the idea of letting love lead. So we've looked at the risk of Mary. Ben did a great job with the story of Joseph last week. Um, and then this weekend, we'll conclude the series looking again back to the beginning at that radical yes of Christmas. And I'm really excited about that. I do hope you'll plan to join us, as Chris said, for the Christmas Eve service here. And then we'll have that short online gathering on Sunday morning. Um, let's pray before we jump into today's message. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for what this season means. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for every person that's part of this community. And we just ask, Father, that in the midst of the busyness of this season, would you just come and bring your peace? Would you come and speak to us and move? Would you help us sort of push aside all the things that might be sort of knocking on the doors of our hearts and help us to make room for you because you are really the reason that we're gathered here today. You're the reason that we celebrate and we just ask you to come and be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to mention if by chance you've been following along in the journal with the guided exercises that were provided, of course, this was optional, um, but it, it can enrich the experience. But I particularly loved uh, this week's exercise. And if you have done this already, or if not, I would encourage you to still yet do it this week. Uh, simply instructs you to, to prompt, it prompts you to settle yourself in a quiet area and read um, a portion of scripture um, some of which we'll focus on today from Luke 22. It says, simply open your hands and gently pray, come Holy Spirit, show me ways I can follow you and take risks because of your love. And the most important part of the instructions, and then wait. You know, we believe here at Vineyard in a God that still speaks, that he is active and alive and working and still actively speaking to his children today and so in light of that we simply wait trusting that he will speak now i'm not going to actually take you through the whole exercise but i just want to point out what happens next is the most important part as you wait our natural tendencies or at least me and my maybe somewhat hyperactive mind wants to jump to maybe things to pray about or you know, concern, like there's a million things that will start to go through your head. And part of this process of waiting is just giving yourself some time to kind of let that stuff start to fade away. And again, trusting that the Lord is going to speak and that he's moving as you wait, rather than giving attention to those thoughts, begin to notice the way the Lord might be interacting with you. Notice how the spirit begins to answer your prayer. Notice uh, how you might feel in that moment as he helps you. Because what's actually happening is he, he's sort of guiding you into his peace. 
And the cool thing about this is the, all of these practices through this guided journal, these are all can sort of become tools in your tool belt. It's not like just a Christmas thing. It's like when things are a little too hectic, when you don't understand what's going on, when you don't know what to do, these are practices or spiritual disciplines that you can engage with that become a tool in your tool belt. And so I love the final instruction here. Revisit this process as often as you have time and as often as you remember. Because uh, I love the way this was illustrated to me one time. You know, we talk about the Lord coming and, and, and filling us up. We love that illustration from several weeks ago about the filling of the cup and the overflowing. But the reality is, friends, sometimes, sometimes in life, we're more like a leaky bucket than a cup. And so that's why we need that continual outpouring, that continual filling of the Lord, because we leak. We, 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 there's no such thing as just standing, all right, I got that blessing from the Lord. I'm just going to hold on to that, and that's going to carry me through. No, like, we leak out, and so we always need more from the Lord. So I just encourage you, even if you haven't followed along through this Advent season, grab one of these and take them with you, because honestly, these practices are not necessarily specific to Christmas. They're great tools to have in your tool belt. Well, as I said, we're going to shift. We've been focusing on different aspects of the Christmas story And today we're going to focus on Jesus, which of course is so appropriate this week. And I want to flip to Luke chapter 22. Now, if you're familiar with this portion of Luke's writing, you might kind of be wondering, uh, because this is not part of the Christmas story. This is much, much later in the story, but you'll understand why. And I just want to read a couple sections here. Uh, I've got the main verse up on the screen that we're going to focus on, but I want to back up and start in verse 39. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can follow along. I'm reading from New Living Translation, um, just so you're aware. Verse 39 says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upper upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Notice that, went as usual. In other words, this is something that was That was a habit, a routine, or a practice that Jesus engaged in regularly. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And this is his prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such an agony of spirit that sweat fell to the ground like great great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you don't give in to temptation. (coughs) There's a couple things that I want to look at here quickly before we move on. If I can get rid of that little tickle in the back of my throat. 
this might seem redundant, but I want to go through and just pull out a couple of really specific things that we notice in the text here. The angel of heaven appeared and strengthened him. So I want you to notice, is the same as we talked about with that spiritual discipline, when Jesus prayed, the Father answered. Whenever you are in a situation that's difficult or that has sort of, uh, let me phrase it this way, we often talk about all the different activities of life, right? And some things that you do in life uh, give you energy and some things take energy. And that's true in a, in a physical sense. It's true in an emotional sense. It's actually true of people that you have relationships with. Some people you have an encounter with and it gives you life. It gives you energy. And some people, the flow goes the other way, right? And that's, that's okay. We, we, just, we need to understand that, that, that there's, there's energy that we receive and energy that goes out. And so in this moment, Jesus is, finds himself in need, and he prays and asks his father, and it says that his father strengthened him. And what I find so interesting is not only does Jesus answer that prayer, but in that strengthening, it actually gives Jesus the ability. The next phrase says that he then prayed more fervently. See, sometimes we think uh, when we, we hear this idea of, of praying sort of, in earnest or, or earnestly or, or whatever phrase you might want to use, we think that has to do with us, you know, like digging in and, and putting in more physical effort. And, and what I find here in following Jesus' pattern is that, no, that actually came as a response from the Father. Just as faith is a gift that gets dropped into your heart, the ability to, to sort of pray in that way that affects results comes as we ask the Father to partner with us in that. You may have heard me say this before, but uh, we've all struggled at times with prayers that we feel are, are unanswered, right? Like we, we have a need, we, we come before the throne boldly, and we ask, and we feel like nothing happens. And sometimes that's just an issue of timing. But I want to I just remind you this morning that the same as the interaction between Jesus and his Father, for us, we know that Jesus is an intercessor for us. It says that he's you know, going before the throne on our behalf. You know, he is concerned about us. He is praying for us. He is praying with us. He is leading us. And so my thought is, well, if Jesus is praying for us, and if we can figure out what Jesus is praying and pray the same things, then the answer is actually guaranteed. Because Jesus always prays in alignment with the Father's will. Jesus asks for things that he has the authority to ask for, and so therefore they're answered. The Father gives freely to his children what they need. And so don't, don't you can get kind of tripped up on this. So I'll hopefully bring it back together. But if we can begin praying the same prayers that Jesus is praying for us, over us, and with us, we'll actually see a lot more wonderful results. One of the things, I just had a conversation with uh, Bob Shimon, one of our members here the other day, and, and we, he and I were talking about this idea um, from our earlier years at the Vineyard about, you know, when we pray, you notice sometimes, especially with ministry prayer, 
uh, we don't always close our eyes. There's nothing wrong with closing your eyes. I think most of us have been trained from a young age that when you pray, you close your eyes. But when we find that when you're praying for someone in a ministry setting, uh, you're praying for an effect. Now, that just doesn't mean they don't have to do some certain thing. But in other words, what I'm saying is if, if someone comes to me and they're sick and they ask me to pray for them, I'm, I'm praying in faith that they would be well. Like there's an effect that I, I would like to see happen in that person's life. And so one of the reasons we often pray with our eyes open is we can see if there's... Now, we can't see sickness, but we can watch and see different subtle ways that the Father might be moving. We can, we can connect the words that we're saying if we're being led by the Spirit, if we're partnering with Jesus and walking in our authority, then we actually want to watch because the truth of the matter is, do we actually believe that Jesus is going to do something? If he is, we need to be looking for that. We need to be watching for that. And, and you know, none of us, me included, are, are perfect at this. Like they don't, I don't have a perfect track record. I pray for people that don't get well too. So, so it's not that I'm overly concerned about the result, but I am watching. <coughs> because the other piece of this is that if we're trying to figure out what is the Father doing, what is the Father saying, again, I'm watching for that. And as I, because, you, okay, you guys know this. I'm going to give this disclaimer again. Sometimes the brain goes faster than the mouth, so just be patient with me. As you're praying for someone, you're watching for that effect. And oftentimes, if you're watching, if you're paying attention, in other words, your focus is on, on, on the patient, if I can use that, that term, not yourself. You're listening, you're watching, but you're not focused on yourself. As you watch and begin to see what the Father's doing, sometimes things will take a different turn. In other words, someone may ask for prayer for one thing, and then you may sense or know that the Lord is actually working on something else. And that's where this like great mystery of the kingdom, the thing is not always the thing. We have to begin to see things with spiritual eyes. And it's not that we don't, uh, we do want to listen, we want to hear the request, but we want to see what the Father sees. We want to pay attention to what the Father is doing and partner with him. And friends, that's actually a lot riskier. That's a lot scarier, you know, because it's like you've got you've to kind of watch these things. You've got to discern these things. You've got to kind of figure it out. <coughs> I don't want to go too far down that track before we back up. My point is that as we watch the model of Jesus and he asks the Father, the Father gives him strength. The Father gives him the ability to pray more fervently. Now, I also want to point out the next verse that, you know, it says more fervently. It doesn't mean that it was a joyful experience. It said he was actually in such agony that that sweat poured off of him like drops of blood. Now, this is not saying that, like, this is our goal. It's not it's not that to pray more fervently we need to work ourselves up into that state. But you have to imagine the weight of Jesus, the weight that Jesus is carrying, understanding what the Father is asking of him. This, this is where we're going to circle back as we look at this, verse 42. 
See, I believe that Jesus did everything that he did on this earth as a spirit-filled man. Yes, he was still God. I don't say that he ever stopped being God. But he operated on this earth as a man like you and I, led and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I believe he understood what the Father was asking of him. I also believe he had free will. He had choice. <coughs> and so in this moment, he actually asks his father, can we do this a different way? Like, do you see the weight of the agony of what I'm carrying? Do you understand what I'm experiencing? Do you know what you've asked me to do? Like, do you understand what this is going to cost me? Can't we figure out a different way? And he has that, you know, I, I, I've expanded, you know, and paraphrased there, but he has this honest moment with his father, you know, like, is there, is there another way? Because this, this really hurts. Like, this is, this is almost too much to carry. And so he's honest with his father about that. And yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. Now, I have to tell you, I think oftentimes we want to pit our will and the Father's will against each other. They're probably uh, more in sync more often than we realize. I, I don't ever want you to think that anything that you might want can't possibly be what God wants. I think if we're, if we're walking this journey with Jesus, oftentimes he uses our, our desires and inclinations and intentions and, and, and works within that context. But just like Jesus... Sometimes Jesus asks us to do something really hard, and we don't want to do it, right? I mean, I think we can all identify with that at some level. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do stuff that we don't want to do. And this is that process of, of obedience, of surrender, of saying, God, I don't get this. I don't know why this is so hard. I don't know why... Necessarily, you've asked me to walk this path, to carry this burden, to do this, whatever the thing before you is. But the thing of it is, if he's continuing to strengthen you, he's continuing to reassure you, child, I know. I know this is hard, I, but this is where I'm taking you. This is what I'm calling you to. We want to follow Jesus' pattern and keep saying yes to that. I want to look at a couple of things. First is that Jesus, in this story, but also in the context of the whole story of Jesus. You know, this is why we jump forward to, to this, this point just before the crucifixion. Because it's, it's intrinsically tied together. You know, the, the advent, the coming of Jesus, the Christmas story, is part of that grander story of him redeeming and restoring his relationship with humankind. And so, uh, many of you know the movie uh, Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. This is a running joke in our house. I like the baby version of Jesus the best. You know, and, and, and but yeah, we laugh, and it's hilarious when Will Ferrell does it, but at the same time, do we sometimes approach Christmas that way? Oh, this is sweet. This is nice. There's, there's all this nostalgia, you know, things from our childhood. And, 
everything's cute and decorated and there's there's and i'm not against any of that i i love christmas i love the decorations there's all these kinds of things but we have to remember it's not just a story about a baby it's a reality of a baby that was sent to this earth with a mission that ends at the cross and we need not forget that that's where this story goes because I don't think necessarily that Jesus, as a baby, maybe fully understood all the things that he would walk out on the earth. But, you know, somewhere along the line, I have to think, because of his relationship with his father, being led by the Holy Spirit, he had probably for a long time prior to this moment that we read, been beginning to understand the road that he was walking, the journey that he was taking, and where the father was leading him. And it sort of culminates at this moment but the point that i want to draw out of this is that jesus in that moment of his deepest agony was able to say your will and not mine because jesus had consistently in his entire life up to that point modeled and walked out a life of risk he had practiced and trained himself and lived a spirit-led life in a way that was actually doing this with much lower level things all throughout his life. Saying yes to the Father over and over again when things don't make sense. Now that might not excite you to think, okay, if I keep saying yes to Jesus, does that mean things are going to get harder? Does that mean the asks are going to get bigger? Sorry, friends. It does, you know, uh, not everything about this journey with Jesus is like lollipops and rainbows. But what we have to consider is, is the thing we're walking towards worth that price? This is why we try to describe for you that kingdom reality. When the kingdom does break in and, and when it comes fully in its time, when we're reunited with him at the end of this age, is what we're pressing towards worth the cost of the hard things that we have to do between now and then? Now, you each have to answer that for yourself. I will emphatically say yes. I actually think that for most of us, if we honestly compare our choices and our sufferings to what we've just read and know of Jesus, our, our hard things are pretty small in comparison. But even for me, I think back to some of the hardest moments in my life. And I compare that to the moments where Jesus has been the most real. Now, I don't, Jesus doesn't change. We know that. But I mean, my experience of him, there are those moments where Jesus reveals himself to you in a way that not just with your head, but that you experience that he's actually more real than anything else. And that, I realize, is just a taste. It's just a scratch on the surface. But for me, those moments have have helped me realize Jesus is real enough that that I've not run into anything yet that I don't think is worth paying to get 
where he's taking you. To see him... Now, you've, maybe you've heard this phrase, for Jesus to receive his full reward. Now, again, it's like, well, but I thought it was about us. It is. We are his reward. Jesus' mission in the grand redemption story was to restore you and I and every other human on the face of this earth whom he paid a price for with his blood back into relationship with the loving Father. To see us ultimately reunited with him for eternity in that place of perfect peace, but also to experience a measure of that now. So if that's his mission, what's victory? What's his prize? It's us. It's when we see that, when we accept that, when we step into that reality, that's Jesus getting his full reward. He wants nothing else. I mean, I don't know if, you, if you've seen this woven through the gospel stories, but like, that's what it's all about. It almost sounds self-aggrandizing like when we say it. Oh, it's all about us. You know, we're, we're the next time. No, but really, that's the way Jesus looks at it. You are the mission and you are the prize. And if he can win you, because he is that good. Like, he, he, he knows how good he is. Like, he knows what he has planned for you. That's what Jeremiah 29 says. When he says the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. Like, in other words, you don't even know how good it is, but I do. Jesus says, I, I know how good it is. I know what I'm taking you to. And that's why I'm going to give you strength to walk through the valley. That's why I'm going to give you the ability to pray harder, to step more fully into being led by my spirit, because I know that however hard that thing is that I have to take you through, the thing on the other side is worth it. The thing that I have for you is so incredibly good, so amazing that that you won't have when you get there you won't have regrets for the things that you had to walk through to get there. <coughs> so Jesus modeled this lifestyle of risk and we want to follow his model. The second thing is that we also see in this same verse Jesus had this, this is what I call a moment of truth. You know, it, it, was a, it was a defining moment where he consciously had to make that choice again. I do think it was easier because he had modeled this practice. He had trained himself. He had done it in increasing measure. But, he, but, but this is the thing. John Wimber used to say in the early days of the vineyard, Every next significant step in the kingdom will cost you everything to that point. That's what we're seeing Jesus modeled here. Just because you've said yes a million times and walked through a million other hard things, it's going to cost you everything again to say yes. It's going to, like, sometimes it's going to take everything you've got to give Jesus that. Yeah, I think that's what Jesus experienced here. I think the Lord strengthened him and helped him. But he had to, again, consciously make that choice. And this agony was greater than any agony he had previously experienced. It cost him everything. I mean, in this instance, it literally cost him his physical life. And he was willing. You have to understand this. He was willing. He said yes to that. I don't think in ignorance. He said yes to that because he knew it was worth it. That leads me to the final thing that, that 
I saw when I was coming through this verse is that in that moment of truth, Jesus chose surrender. He purposely and willingly chose surrender. Now, we, we know, I mean, if you've been around here any length of time, you know, we talk about this a lot. I mean, this, this is, this is our, our life in Jesus, is, is surrendering to submitting to his ways and to his will and his leading. And when you don't feel like you can, I want you to remind yourselves of this story. Again, to think about the state that Jesus was in, the agony that he was carrying and the decision that he was facing, and yet the Father had strength enough to give him to, to, to surrender in that moment. I don't know about you, but I've had very real things in my life where it was very clear what the Father was asking or what the right thing to do was. And, it, and it's not lack of knowledge. You might know exactly what the thing is, but you also know if I do that thing as right as it is, it's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt people I love. It might cause strained relations. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But as I tell you all the time, if you've carefully discerned and you are confident that that is the Lord, through co-counsel of other spirit-filled believers, through, through filtering through his written word, through his witness in your spirit, like when you when you're know that that's where he's taking you, you, you have to surrender it. You have to sort of run towards that pain, knowing that what's on the other side, and, and like I said, it's, he's not always going to give you a pass around the pain. Sometimes you have to walk through it. It's not easy. But we must surrender. I want to kind of begin to wrap this up <coughs> asking you a question. Where is love leading you this season? You know, we've, we've been talking all about the risks that Jesus took. And Jesus is love. Jesus is the one leading us. So love is leading us. Where is love leading you this Christmas season? What risks is he asking you to take? What relationships is he asking you to try to <coughs> take the first step towards restoration, redemption? Where is love leading you this Christmas season? And the final thought, as we think about that, <coughs> goodness, when you think about a fire, just a you know campfire, whatever, what does it take to start a fire? If you have if you have proper kindling proper conditions it only takes a spark right a single spark is the is the starting point of any flame of any size i want you to consider this morning that the risks that jesus is asking you to take they can be that spark you might think that the thing he's asking you to do or leading you towards is insignificant 
or irrelevant in the grand scheme. What, what difference will this yes make? And I just come to encourage you this morning, friends, that even the smallest yes, even the smallest risk can be the spark that fans the flame. Jesus can take something seemingly small. We used to sing a song in the church that I grew up in, a little more traditional. I think Dave probably knows what I'm getting ready to say. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you this morning, Father, come and spark, come and lead us into those risks so that we can fan the flame of your spirit, so that we can burn all the brighter for the benefit of those around us, so that we can truly carry you into this community of the Peoria region and beyond. Father, lead us through the hard places. Father, comfort us. I know, Father, for many this season can be difficult. So we ask for strength. We ask that you strengthen our prayer lives, strengthen our resolve, give us faith. Father, I ask specifically that you deposit in us here in Vineyard Church Peoria deposits in this season that will pay dividends all year. That as we consider the Christmas story, as we consider all the wonderful things that we'll celebrate over the next days and weeks, that you would stir in us, that you would deposit in us things that will work themselves out all through this coming year, Father. I know for many we think of the end of this year, this season, this time of year as, as, as the end of the year. But Father, I'm reminded that in the church calendar, this is actually the beginning of the year. And so, Father, I ask that we would see it that way, that the things that you do in this season will actually start us into the next year that you have. Father, we ask that you just come and move today as you already have been, but even more, Father, just increase your spirit as we continue to worship you today. In Jesus' name.